When I was 16, I went on my first trip in the Boundary Waters. It rained every single day, and I learned the wonders of wool, the horrors of black flies, and spent the night on an island with a bear. Needless to say, I fell head over heels in love with everything about the Boundary Waters. I knew I would be back. I'm Aubrey Helmuth Miller, clean water advocate and founder of Redbud Suds, a thoughtfully clean shower bar company. If my voice sounds a little familiar, it's because I've been on the podcast a few times before. Most recently, when Matthew and Joe shared the audio diaries from the Red Bud Suds staff trip last summer. I am so proud to support this podcast because it aligns with our mission at Red Bud Suds to live every day with adventure and deeply connected to nature. There is nothing like sharing Boundary Waters stories together to do that well. And for me, adventuring in the Boundary Waters is what sparked my desire to be more thoughtful with my environmental impact, both at home and in the backcountry. Red Bud Suds 4-in-1 shower bars are shampoo, conditioner, body soap, and shaving cream all in one bar. No plastic packaging needed. What? If you're wondering how you might use a bar for shampoo, we've got shufas. Shufas are a little mesh loofah bag with a strap. They make using the bar an easy, quick dry, and mess-free experience anywhere. So check it out at redbudsuds.com and use the code podcast for 15% off your first order. That's code podcast at redbudsuds.com. Whether it's in the small moments like enjoying a delightful shower or big memories like catching your first fish, may all your adventures be thoughtfully clean. This is the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experience were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking. We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before. I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters, and it's, it was really cool. It was my first time. The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars. I will set my sights by the northern star, and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Oh, and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Welcome to episode 40 of the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Matthew Baxley. I'm your other host today, Joe Fredericks. It's April, Joe. Sure is. Looks like it, feels like it, smells like it. The smells. It's all melting away out there, If if it hasn't already melted. The rivers are breaking loose, dumping their contents in the shores of Lake Superior, flowing from deep within Mm -hmm. the beloved place that we return to this podcast month after month, tell stories about the Boundary Waters. That's right. It's been uh, a pretty dry spring around the Boundary Waters. We've even seen some fires along near Lake Superior already this month, and you know, just uh, that's this time of transition is normally a little bit muddy and soupy and even cold and rainy. And you know how I feel about April. It's just mm-hmm. I still haven't quite figured out what to do with myself most of the time. So I end up splitting wood and hanging out and badgering you all spring. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty accurate. <laughs> but uh, this year with the dry conditions, you know, we're just kind of a even slower go. We're just treading a little more carefully this year for the most part. But mm-hmm. still, of course, gearing up, getting ready for spring and, and uh, May canoeing. And we'll be talking plenty more, you know, about that uh, throughout the episode. But yeah, we're going we're gonna to do a little bit of looking back into the end of the season uh, we've got a great story we're going to get to as we revisit Pine Lake, as we heard about from thirty episode 39. The return to Pine. Lake Trout Redemption. Indeed. If you recall, back to the uh, winter uh, camping trip, 
with our friends from Duluth. Yep. Uh, that that was a skunk. No fish. And yeah. we didn't we didn't get talk too much about it here on the podcast. Actually, the uh, it was the, more of an implication than anything else. Yeah, and there was a it was a TV crew that was with us from Duluth, and they really played up the fishing aspect. That mm-hmm. was like kind of a core part of their production was the the lack of fish that we came into, other than the massive, giant fish of a lifetime that I did have on my line at one point. They got off. It did. And and um, so you can find all that elsewhere on, on TV. Uh, as we said, we didn't get too much into it. But it was enough of a motivating factor that we wanted to call in some reinforcements and get back into Pine this winter. And we do that in this episode. And you're going to hear all about it. Exactly. Basically the product of the scheming of Joe Fredericks. <laughs> And redemption. Yeah, and we and we brought in a guy from Ely. Uh, Eric Glosson is his name. He he works at Paragus. Great guy. He's, he's making uh, some productions from the Boundary Waters. He's he's an awesome ice fisherman. Great great angler. Big Boundary Waters enthusiast for all seasons. But really, I wanted his skills as an angler, ice angler. And uh, so he comes along on this journey. We'll hear that in part two of the episode today. Indeed. Uh, before we get to that, though, we have this, you know, dive into really what the land has to offer. Yeah, we're going to hear, we heard from a listener of the podcast, actually, an international listener, mm-hmm. although much closer than even Duluth, <laughs> as it turns <laughs> out, but still international. Um, Mark Deans is an Ontario resident. And he reached out to us and said, you know, I listen to your podcast with my family here in our trapper's cabin across the border from you in Ontario, not far from Gunflint Lake and North Lake, kind of that area in Ontario across from from that part of the Boundary Waters that a lot of our listeners probably know where Gunflint Lake is or maybe even North Lake. Well, Mark traps uh, with his family. It's It's a tradition and something they do as a group and have for many, many years. And they listen to the podcast at the Trapper's Cabin. They pick up WTIP and can hear it from there. And they've heard the episodes and love them, Mark said. And he also wanted to share some information about some of these lakes that are just east of Quetico and just north of the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. So it's not in the designated park of Quetico or the BWCA. It's But it's... Even more wild from this description that we're getting from Mark and really intrigued. So we reached out to him and had a conversation. We're going to hear kind of a production about that. And it's not not about uh, trapping necessarily. It's more about the land and these wild places. You know, Joe, I've been keeping this one in my back pocket. Mm. Quote I'd like to share. Yeah, all right. I don't know if you're familiar with Terry Tempest Williams. Absolutely. Fantastic author. If you're not familiar with her, anybody listening, check check her out. But this, her words spoke to me in this regard. So she writes, It is time for us to take off our masks, to step out from behind our personas, whatever they might be, educators, activists, biologists, geologists, writers, farmers, ranchers, and bureaucrats, and admit we are lovers engaged in an erotics of place, loving the land, honoring its mysteries, acknowledging, embracing the spirit of place. There is nothing more legitimate, and there is nothing more true. That is why we are here. That is why we do what we do. There is nothing intellectual about it. We love the land. It is a primal affair. (laughs) <laughs> oh wow give me a little more heads up next time <laughs> i wanted <laughs> wanted to see you get the feels joe <laughs> yeah no that's um you know i like what what really jumps out at me is the there's nothing intellectual about our passion for the boundary waters necessarily i mean we come up with intellectual things to support it yeah but the idea of we like going because 
we're in love with the land mm-hmm. is is a pretty direct way to say it. Mm-hmm. I think that you and I have a, a shared, you know, maybe equal. We do different things in the Boundary Waters oftentimes, depending on the season, as far as the recreational aspect of it. But we have a shared, equal passion for the place. Indeed. And, um, yeah, that just, just acknowledging that it's a deep, we're here because of, of the land. Mm-hmm. That's why we, why we live here, why we chose to make this place our home and share our love of this place through the podcast. And like any love affair, it is deeply relational. Mm-hmm. The place is as alive as any human. And what it gives in relationship is just as not, if not more powerful. And it's mutual loving affair. Yeah. Yeah. What I mean, it's such a... You know, the quote also fits in well here as we kind of... I ex- talked about my, my loss for an understanding of what to do with myself in the month of April. <laughs> it's because I don't have my place to go. Mm-hmm. My love of the Boundary Waters, it, it sets a schedule for me. It gives me a purpose and a direction. And April, the, the ice is going bad, you know, honeycomb, rotten ice, uh, not safe typically and in the fishing season closes march 31st so i can't pursue lakers anymore and um yeah that's i think a big part of it actually i'm just sort of realizing this now is that i can't go to my favorite place in april Mm -hmm. it's essentially like when your the love of your life leaves on a trip Uh and you just sort of wander around the house (laughs) and you stare at the wood stove and you think whoa who am I now yeah. <laughs> without this other? Yeah. And, you know, you might have uh, clean cupboards because you're occupying your time with <laughs> stuff to do. Or I might, you know, get my wood pile ready for next winter This during this transition time when I don't know what to do. But I'm not as joyous or clear in my purpose. Mm-hmm. And um, I kind of, interestingly enough, I kind of talked with Mark about that. I mean, he 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 reaches out about these really remote lakes that are. I think you're gonna really enjoy hearing from Mark, actually, Matthew, and hopefully our listeners too. And with that in mind, let's let's jump into this uh, this story about some of these really remote lakes here and and what uh, what's happening across the border. As we talk on this episode about a sense of connection with the woods and waters of canoe country, Matthew and I are welcoming new ideas on where this exploratory mindset can take us. Indeed, we've been traveling across frozen lakes and rivers and snow-covered portages, dating all the way back to our Thanksgiving celebration in November of 2020 near Sawbill Lake. We're preparing now to transition from snowshoes to our spring boots. We're ready to slide on mud instead of ice. The arrival of spring, however, is often a slow crawl here in the Boundary Waters. And so we wait, and we plan. To keep our minds engaged with canoe country travel, an email we received from a podcast listener in early 2021 grabbed our attention. The email came from a Canadian resident named Mark Deans. Mark had some routes that were off the beaten path that he wanted to share with us and discuss. Naturally, we leapt at the opportunity. Before we dove into exploration of new territory here in the Boundary Waters region, Matthew and I wanted to learn more about Mark. For starters, he's a trapper. He runs his trap lines in some of the most remote wilderness imaginable, just east of Quetico Provincial Park in Ontario, and across the border from North Lake here in the BWCA, not far from Gunflint Lake. It's here that Mark and his family explore some 54,000 acres of forest that's decorated with massive pines, pristine lakes, and clear-flowing streams. I talked with Mark on a cold winter day in 2021. During our conversation, he told me that he and his family listened to the podcast when it streams on the WTIP airwaves from their remote cabin outpost, located on Crown Land in Ontario. WTIP is the station of choice while they're out running the trap lines. They tune the station in while they're hunkering in after a day in the cold and snow back at their trapper cabin. 
Indeed, trapping is a family endeavor for Mark. Each winter, Mark, his wife Joanne, and their three teenage children spend weekends and other available opportunities traveling across incredibly remote territory, even by Quetico or BWCA standards. Here's Mark sharing some history about trapping in Ontario and his family's connection with the trade. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's it's really unique in Ontario. We've got a really good system uh, for for trappers, and so in 1948, um, the the province uh, created the trapline uh, uh, registered trapline kind of system, and so basically what it does is it, it allocates a, a an area of land uh, for one specific trapper uh, to, to to manage, and no other trappers can go into that area. Um, just that trapper and his family and and like uh, it's helpers they call them. So we have on our trapline we've got a number of helpers that that help us and, and they come out and they've got areas that they, they do on, on our trap line as well and we kind of work together. Um, and it's kind of good to have other people out there as well in case you kind of, you know, we get it into a jackpot. It's nice to have somebody close by that can help or you can, you can get them on the in-reach. Um, but yeah, so it's, so we have these areas and then, and then with, with these areas we're allowed to build um, a cabin, which is a really kind of a neat thing. So we can build our own cabin kind of off the middle of nowhere. Uh, the area has to be like approved, of course, by our government and, and, you know, it's uh Kind of off an area where you, where you don't, won't impact any other kind of users of the land. So obviously, not a, you wouldn't put a trap line cabin beside somebody's um, camp or cottage, or, or beside a like a you know a, a resort or anything like that. You're kind of off on your own. We're in an area where you don't really disturb anybody. So yeah, so we built a 2010. We built a 600 square foot um, cabin on our trap line, and we've got another 200 square foot building. And we're allowed to build one other building, uh, which we'll probably build in the next few years. I guess we'd like to build another kind of skinning shed slash garage uh, out there. Um, but yeah, it's kind of neat. So we go out there, and, and you, it's it's our own little piece of paradise, and you know we're able to enjoy the land and trap, and and uh, it's great. Wow! And are there, is there a road that leads to it, or do you have to take a snow machine to get in there? Yeah. So we when we first built the camp. Um, we we brought everything in on by boat, and we had a four wheeler trail. Uh, we cut eventually, and so everything kind of came in really uh, the hard way, I guess you'd say. Um, but then over time, um, in Ontario, you're, we, were, we were able to apply for what they call a work permit. So we applied for our work permit for the government, so we got approval to build a road in. Um, and so we actually built a road in. So we can, we're fortunate now in the summertime, we can drive our, our half tons to, to our camp. Um, in the wintertime, um, we, can, we park within about six kilometers of the cabin, and then we, we uh, skidoo in. As we talked about the land where Mark and his family set their traps each winter, we studied maps of the remote terrain it's just across the border from North Lake and Gunflint Lake. Now, I'm a complete sucker for maps and can stare at a Boundary Waters map for hours. Literally hours. I have maps of the Canoe Country Wilderness hanging on the walls of the writer's cabin where Matthew and I work on the podcast. So needless to say, I was completely engaged in the conversation as Mark and I discussed the remote area where he traps. Eventually, we settled on a specific section of the map and a lake that could be the target of a canoe or winter trip for Matthew and I in the near future. Once the border opens and COVID restrictions are lifted, we'll be aiming for Greer Lake. Let's learn more about it from Mark. Yeah, so we're basically where we are. We're about a couple of kilometers, I guess that would be a mile maybe or so, uh, north of uh, North Lake, and it's kind of a really neat area. It's kind of on the, on the northern edge of where the Ham Lake fire um, stopped on, on the Canadian side, and it's uh, kind of a really unique area because it's, you know, you get in this area, it's kind of, there's a big kind of height of land that kind of goes through the area, and it's, uh, you know, it's mature timber there, and it's very, uh, it's a neat country um, because a lot of, not a lot of people can get in there because it's a kind of a cluster of, of little lakes, um, that, you know, people typically, the weekend uh, outdoors person with the boat on the boat trailer can't get these big boats into, and it's, it's an area that's typically only, you know, we're there in the wintertime on snow machines, trapping and, um, along some of these, these portage routes and, and also, uh, you know, around the lakes and that kind of thing. And in the summertime, you get, you get maybe a handful of canoeists that come through, and it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of a little forgotten area, which is, would be really, I'm sure, of interest to your listeners. Yeah, and, and I mean, is it accessible by... There's no roads, there's, but there's not really any portage trails necessarily, or it sounds like there's one that's two kilometer, which would be, uh, you know, about a mile, 1.2 miles, essentially, a little under a mile and a half uh, for our listeners in the States here. But what about access to this? I mean, we're, we're talking so remote, like from North Lake, which in and of itself is remote. How would you ever get to a spot like Greer Lake? Uh, well, it's it's you you've got a, a, a number of portages to go through, and, and you'd, you'd have to go across a few little lakes. 
Um, on, on the, the northern side, there's some bigger lakes that, that have a, a couple cabins on them. But uh, um, beyond that, I mean, you, you would be to get into Greer Lake, you're looking at two portages and a, and a, a paddle across a, another smaller kind of unnamed lake. And um, yeah, it's 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 kind of really neat. And I know back in you know there was a lot of work done probably in the you know in the 70s and 80s um you know having creating these portage routes and maybe a lot of them probably were there longer based on you know traditional fur trade routes and trappers and uh a lot of these little lakes are all connected and we uh, we trap that area and uh, we run our snow machines in the winter time along these portage routes um so we open the trails up we we have uh, we actually I go and I, I I buy the little yellow portage signs and we put them up on the the portage as well so it's clearly marked and um, yeah, it's kind of really neat. It's a it's, it's it's a very cool area, and I mean a lot of it's there's some bass fishing lakes in there, and uh, a little bit of walleye, and and, and there's some uh, white uh, whitefish as well. So it's 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 kind of a really neat area that not a lot of people go to. Um, just you know, it's it's it takes a kind of a unique person to want to go in there, and I mean it's a, definitely would be awesome for canoeists, I'm sure. Yeah, and uh, are there campsites, or what would you know? Would you just be able to kind of more like the quetical format where you can just you know. There's not going to be a, a latrine necessarily or something like that, but uh, you know, is there are there people that recreate in here? Uh, there, I mean, there 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 has been before. So I mean, if you're if you're on these lakes, a lot of these little lakes, you'll you'll see like there'll be like the old fire ring, um, uh, but there's not a lot of like again camp spots. But I mean, it's not there's no like uh, outhouses set up or anything. It's it's kind of it's real remote backcountry stuff. So it's uh, yeah, no, it's you'd uh, it's pretty uh, untouched for sure. Well, not to send our listeners on a, a wild goose chase then because I want to, you know, do this smartly, but I think Matthew and I would be really inclined. I can I can already see that his wheels are going to be spinning when I talk about this. But so let's say we're coming from Minnesota here. Uh, would we want to come from, like, uh, this Icarus Lake, I think is how you pronounce it, or or North Lake? Like, what would be a better way to get to Greer Lake if we were coming from Minnesota? Um, so if you're coming in, I mean, like it would be coming in from North Lake um, up, the, up to two-kilometer part, Portage, Cut into Greer would be one way, but then another way, of course, would be to drive across Canada or, or into Canada, and then take um, it would be Highway 58 is the one that kind of goes right into north of there, and you can you can get into Madeline Lake, which is just north, and you know there's a, a nice spot to park there, and you could you know you could be, and actually a nice camp spot too, and uh, go in and you paddle down through Madeline um, into Icarus into Greer over the little lake, and then up another portage into another into Greer. Um, and uh, yeah, Greer's pretty neat, and and actually you can keep going right around into the into Melvin Lake. Um, you'd be a couple more portages, a couple little more lakes, and then right down into the Granite River and into, into Granite Lake, and then back right onto the the U.S. border, U.S. Canadian border. Wow, cool! I, I mean, this would not be for uh, novice and canoeists. You'd need to have some map reading skills and and know what you're getting into. But th- this is just Crown Land in Ontario, right? Yeah, that's Crown Crown Land. That's right. Yeah. Nice. Well. I think, uh, you know, th- there's a number of things that I, I was really excited to talk with you about. Of course, you know, your connection to the land and trapping and just how that whole process works in Ontario and, and you know, right on the edge of Quetico, right on the other side of the border from the, from the Boundary Waters. And just also just this remote area here that uh, really is fascinating to me that exists, uh, you know, so, some of this here in Superior National Forest in, in Minnesota, but it, it just seems even more wild up here in Ontario and that, that it's accessible, that people who are listening to this, uh, if you can get, you know, once the border opens, when the pandemic, uh, you know, restrictions are lifted and so forth, that people could could get to this Greer Lake that you're talking about. And, and I think Matthew and I uh, are going to put that on our list, quite frankly, Mark, and, and maybe we'll see you up there and, and meet you one day at, at Greer Lake. We'll, we'll try to coordinate something. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, this is just a very fascinating area here that you're kind of introducing us to and that it sounds like you're you're very familiar with and you're one of the only people i mean how many let's just you know wind it down this way like how many people would you say go to greer lake or or either put a canoe or step on the ice on any given year oh wow um well i'd be ourselves i mean with the, with the trapping but uh aside from that i i, I want to say it would be under 10 uh maybe like maybe a few canoe groups come through but i like to me it's a very underutilized area which i mean it's it's kind of nice that it's that way too but i mean it's uh you know, especially when we we open up the portages and you know we're we're going through with snow machines. Like there's there's times you go through there and you see a tree down across and it's like in the last time you were here, you think, well, how long has this tree been here? You know what I mean? Like, is there a lot of people that come through? And I I really don't think it's used all that much. And it's kind of a really neat area and it's it's kind of a 
it's a it's a real quiet area, and I you know we you know when you get up to our area in Thunder Bay here, as closer you get to Thunder Bay, of course it gets busier. Um, but it's with having that level of wilderness, I think, uh, within you know close to Thunder Bay, Grand Marais, it's it's uh, it's, it's really neat. And, I mean, you guys got some uh, really cool areas on your side of the border too, and it's uh, it's kind of I think we're all very fortunate to have these areas around. The closure of the border between the U.S. and Canada has been extremely challenging for many businesses that rely on a flow of visitors from each country. Economic and emotional hardships are a reality for many including those involved with outdoor recreation in the Boundary Waters. Matthew and I have been anxious to get back to Canada and paddle in Quetico for many reasons, most specifically to return to Cache Bay and visit the ranger station, where our dear friend Janice Matichuk worked for more than three decades. It's the unknown of the wilderness that continues to pull Matthew and I back time and time again. We don't know exactly what emotions will come out when we make it back to Cache Bay. Likewise, We don't know how challenging it will be trying to find Greer Lake. It's going to take careful navigation, patience, and best of all, a few lucky breaks to pull off an adventure like this. Here on the podcast, we say that's the best type of canoe trip imaginable. Indeed, that is the spirit of this place, and that is why we are here. That's why we do what we do. Mark seems to agree. And just the freedom. You're on these back lakes nobody's there um and you see a lot of really interesting things and and uh yeah it's just it's an awesome way to, to be out and so it's like in ontario we have uh the we're very fortunate to have year-round use of our, our trapline cabins and so our family we spend a lot of time out at our cabin and depends on the year what we're or time of year what we're, what we're doing out there it could be you know berry picking in the summertime or or fishing um you know or you know doing some uh, working on the cabins or the trails and you know it's or tra- trapping is kind of the main use in the in the winter time, but uh, it's we just enjoy being out. My wife and I both went to school for uh, forestry and fish and wildlife, and so we have the the background in our schooling and kind of you know at a young age kind of gave us the the, the interest in it. So we're we're kind of we, we call ourselves tree nerds, and we were like really love uh, you know um, nature and and kind of you know being out there interacting with it, right, and seeing a lot of different things and, and enjoying it. Well, as you heard, uh, the invitation's on the table, and, uh, you know, we should also address that as of this April episode, episode 40, the the border is closed, and so we can't paddle across, uh, even if we wanted to, and it looks like, based on some other conversations with people on SAG at the end of the Gunflint, that the remote area border crossing permits are not likely for 2021. So this will be something for a future episode. I, I mean, I'm really excited to get up into this Greer Lake that, mm-hmm. that Mark was talking about and explore some of this. And I think paddling across from North Lake and bushwhacking through this portage that he is going to be kind of helping out and where he traps and works the line and clear it for us. That's the way to go as opposed to driving around and coming up. That oh, way. yeah. Go straight to it. Exactly. So this is a to-be-continued very much so. We will revisit this and hopefully get uh, Mark back on the podcast and we can meet him up there and maybe 2022 or just when we can. Well, you know, speaking of to be continued, in just a moment, we're going to take a to be continued on Pine Lake uh, and revisit part two of what ended up being quite the saga. But before we get into that, you know, Joe, the thing I love when we get to have these conversations about wilderness and the land and our love for it, it's I know that we're talking to people who feel the same way. They know the love affair. And, you know, uh, same with our sponsors, same with our listeners, and same with Bear Paulson. 
Yeah, actually, you know, if, uh, Bear Paul's in the North Star Canoes, and we see a lot of those in uh, the Boundary Waters region right now. And I was having a conversation with Bear about wilderness, just about the Boundary Waters, and we know he's a big winter camper, and he shared some thoughts about wilderness uh, that I think fit in actually with the quote that you shared at the top of the episode, Matthew. Uh, let's just hear a, a segment here from Bear Paulson uh, from North Star Canoes talking about wilderness. Many areas throughout the United States receive protection from the Wilderness Act. A few examples are the John Muir, the Gila, and the Bob Marshall. We are lucky to have areas set aside as wilderness. There's no universal definition of wilderness. Wilderness means different things to different people. Some are content with the wilderness of a county park. Others of us need large areas to roam. I certainly do. I guess it's probably because I don't like to share. My sister will attest that I wasn't too good at sharing while we were growing up. Now I revel in places where there are no people. It's not that I don't like people. I just need a little bit more elbow room than the rest of our species. I love to go on long trips to wild spaces. Long trips in the wilderness are hard to schedule. It's a challenge for anyone to free themselves up for more than a few days. To get into the rhythm, I need to be out for at least a week, or better yet, a month. It takes the first few days to shed the noise of regular life. The last couple of days are fraught with planning to exit the wilderness. The middle is, well, the trip. The unencumbered, amazing experience. Always plan short trips and you've got all bun and no burger. Make sure to take a long trip at least once. It's all about the rhythm, the flow state you settle into. It's about being fully immersed wherever you are. President Johnson signed the Wilderness Act into law on September 3, 1964. The Wilderness Act attempts to define wilderness with these words. A wilderness, in contrast to those areas where man and his own works dominate the landscape, is hereby recognized as an area where the earth and its community of life are untrammeled by man, where man himself is a visitor who does not remain. That sounds like a place I'd like to visit. When you do head out into a wilderness, remember to take a moment and give thanks to some of the people that worked so tirelessly to pass the Wilderness Act. People like Bob Marshall, Howard Zanisser, Olaf and Marty Meary. If you paddle or hike in the BWCA, you can even give greater thanks to Sig Olson and Hubert Humphrey. Both were instrumental in creating the Wilderness Act and the BWCA. Our lives are richer thanks to their efforts. Despite the protections offered by the Wilderness Act, the BWCA still suffers from the threat of sulfide mining. We at North Star Canoe support Save the Boundary Waters in their efforts to protect Minnesota's crown jewel. We hope we'll cross paddles with all the listeners of this podcast on trips into the BWCA. Ideally, of course, while you're all paddling North Star Canoes. You are joining us now on Pine Lake in the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. We sit around a smoldering fire atop the ice in this late season, and our hearts are full of contentment. But the story doesn't start there. The story started this morning, quite early. And who, in fact, is a part of this story is important to know. Sitting across this fire from me, is Eric Glosson of Ely, Minnesota. And between he and I, it's the man you know as Joe Fredericks. Now, in this moment, I want to know, how do you boys feel? I couldn't feel better. It is my only wish to spend every March chasing lake trout on the ice in the Boundary Waters. And we did that today, and we did it successfully. We caught a couple of fish, one big lake trout and one gigantic northern pike. <laughs> gigantic. <laughs> I had a great day. It's beautiful. It's probably 35 degrees right now. We're sitting, getting a natural suntan in March. Mm-hmm. Things couldn't be better. Yeah, I would agree with that, definitely. Um, so many highlights already on this day of, of just moments that I think will... I'll reflect on for years to come, probably every time I come back to this lake and just looking down at the view 
down to the east of this lake is just just stunning. No wind right now. You know, we're not huddled in behind some kind of barrier to record, get good audio here. This is out in the smack dab middle of this giant lake. And it's just as peaceful as can be. Um, cooked a lake trout over a fire and ate that. And then caught uh, pretty much the biggest laker I've ever had. Maybe Maybe tied for it, but certainly the most fun because it fit in with the theme of lake trout redemption. Okay, let's get... Now, let's not jump ahead. Because <laughs> I think this is an important theme. Uh, when in reality, this story did start uh, about a month ago. Yep. And you heard all about that tale in episode 39. Uh, coming out to Pine with our new friends from Duluth. And it was a... a, a a great trip for many, many reasons, but none of those reasons included catching fish. And in fact, we, we didn't dive into it at the time because it was such a source of pain and heartache that we just couldn't even put it on the air that that Joe lost potentially an even bigger lake trout. Not not potentially. I would remove that word from the equation. Okay, take two. <laughs> and Joe lost yeah. <laughs> an enormous lake trout. <laughs> So we had to come up with a plan to get back out to Pine, and, and Joe was eager to um, make an amends with that painful experience, mm-hmm. experience some healing. But I think, Joe, in your infinite wisdom, you knew that we needed a secret weapon. We needed reinforcements. I'd been uh, watching Eric and uh, discovered his videos this year through Farwater and uh, watching them on YouTube and their Boundary Waters ice fishing videos. And actually, Boundary Waters fishing videos. Yeah, fishing, I, you know, exactly. But uh, I was attuned to the lake trout and brook trout ice fishing you've been doing this year and was enjoying the videos, but also, you know, kind of feeling my loss at the same time and knew I wanted to come back out here and give it another shot in 2021 to come back and hook into this lake trout. So what happened, just real quickly about that, was that um, I hooked into a lake trout on that trip with uh, Dan and Alex from the TV crew that was an unreal kind of a fish and got it to the hole twice, only to miss it after a pretty epic battle. And um, so we, we reached out in, to Eric. In fact, and, Joe yeah. fell backwards when it got off the line and did not move from that spot nor utter a sound for several minutes i was convinced he may have left his body altogether i actually that's still possible Mm. by the way um but uh (laughs) so anyhow that was what led up to this we reached out to eric he took the invitation and here we are so let's back up a little bit more yeah uh eric can you just tell us a little bit about your introduction to the wilderness, Your what led to this quite successful and, and passion-driven venture of connecting people all over the world with, with the wilderness through your fishing channel. Yeah, happy to. Uh, I think my first official Boundary Waters trip was as either a 7th or 8th grader. I went with a summer camp that I belonged to. Um, and got a basic paddling introduction. We did a little bit of river paddling. We did some bigger lakes, and I just immediately fell in love and needed to come back. Um, I went to undergrad at UMD in Duluth, so I had access to the Spear Hiking Trail as well as the Boundary Waters and made a few trips happen in college, but it really wasn't until I moved back to Minnesota uh, after a brief stint living in Washington, D.C., and then Denver, Um, that I started going on more trips in earnest. Um, I lived in the cities in St. Paul after moving back to Minnesota for four or five years. I think it was about four years, uh, and then had an opportunity. At that point, I was an independent sales rep selling outdoor gear, so working in the space I currently do. Um, And I worked with folks uh, at Paragus as well as other independent gear shops uh, in the region, 
And when I heard they were hiring um, a new retail store manager, uh, it just so happened that my wife and I were looking for a change. We knew we wanted to move to northern Minnesota. We didn't know if that would be Duluth, Grand Marais, or Ely, or somewhere in between, but we knew we wanted to move north and simplify our lives and, you know, really slow things down, which I'm glad to say we've been able to do in the last two and a half years since we've lived in Ely. Um, so I traveled up to Paragus, met with the folks, got interviewed, everything went well and accepted a job, sold our house in St. Paul two weeks later. Um, and the rest is kind of history. So I've always loved traveling in the Boundary Waters, but these last few years specifically, I've really been able to hone my skills, get out more, living in close proximity, do, you know, 10 to 12 weekend trips a year rather than just the one or two epic trips a year like most folks um, who are able to um, are able to get up once or twice Um, so yeah the more I got out the more I honed my skills the better paddler I became the better fisher person I became and um, I've had an opportunity to invest in some camera gear and start documenting these trips i when me and my buddies used to do fishing opener trips we would bring a gopro along and it would never be charged or we'd never get that epic fish (laughs) on camera Uh um so it's always something i've wanted to do um and finally made it happen finally invested and just said it's time so i'm still pretty new it's only been about six months or so since i've started publishing videos on youtube but so far the response has been great and it's published under it's Farwater. I do have a F-A-R-W-A-T-E-R. Um, I do have a website, chasingfarwater.com. Uh, Farwater wasn't available, so we had to get creative. Um, but yeah, Farwater on YouTube or Chasing Farwater. Um, you can find my videos and some blog posts and all the you know, media that I've put together so far. What I really like about these videos... Um and it kind of gave me an understanding of maybe why people like the podcast because I'd sit in my living room and I felt like I was there, you know, really like captivating. And I, you know, and I, I remember my, my partner, Lindsay was making dinner and she was trying to talk to me. I was like, and I just was, I started narrating what was happening out loud to her. And I was like, Oh, this is, it's cut the fish. And, and you know, this, the, the tools you use and the way you capture those experiences just really brings you in to be a part of the experience and um, really brought me a lot of joy and then anticipation of this redemption trip mm-hmm. and the idea of having you come along with us and even bring in your snowmobile, your sled out to help this all happen. I mean, this is, this was a, there's a big buildup to this for many reasons mm-hmm. and you know, we we met outside. Joe picked me up at five, five fifty or five, right before six. Yeah. daylight savings time, so it was five a.m. The tech, our bodies were telling us anyway. Yep. Yeah, it's dark. Uh-huh. You know, we made the long drive. You following us in your rig with your trailer as you drove over from Ely, and this this whole idea of connecting these two parts of the wilderness, Ely and Grand Marais, on this trip on Pine. You know. I've never, I just got to say, so I know you you both are passionate about fishing. Mm-hmm. And you both were pulling pretty heavy sleds. And I just, myself with my camera bag and my skis, I was working hard to keep up with you two. You were driven to get out here today. <laughs> I mean, I, there's one point where I hung back to get a good shot of you guys. And I thought, you neither of you never looked back. <laughs> For a good 15 minutes. I was like, if I fell and broke my leg, these guys would have no idea. And they probably wouldn't figure it out till the day was over on their way back. I wonder what ever happened to Matthew out there. <laughs> we probably would have noticed. I thought he we... yelled tip up at one point. I just assumed he was in the tree somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the way this day started. I mean, you guys felt, it seemed like you were dialed. Mm-hmm. You were ready. And we got out here. So let's just take us a little bit through the day. So highlights what stuck out to both of you for today you know like today's purposes of of um 
either just what it's meant or the buildup to, to get us out here. And maybe now as we're having a little bit of time to reflect. I mean, the, the, Ooh, yeah, first time taking a breath. Really. Yeah, it is. And we've been busy. And uh, it hasn't been by any means like a flurry day of just crazed action. But it's been just that perfect amount of fish and, and the scenery and the whole, the weather. Like, it's basically been a perfect day. Mm-hmm. And when you, we had, like you're saying, Matthew, from Eric being willing to drive from Ely to come here, getting up so early, caravanning up here, snowmobiles, all these steps we had to go through to get to the edge of the wilderness, and then walk three miles in on the lake to get here to drill the first hole. Like, there's a lot of buildup around this. Basically all centered on that missed fish from a month ago. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we kind of titled it Lake Trout Redemption. And then to get that first lake trout, we got that one that was, what, 18, eight, big fat 18-incher. That's the one we cooked over the fire. Uh, that kind of put the deity, it kind of made took that pressure off. And then, oh, then, and then Eric. And then Eric hooked into one not long after that. Pretty quickly. Yeah. And then we brought Good eater size. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and then we're both kind of like off the board of... You don't have to go, you know, we got skunked. Like, that part of it is now eliminated. And that's that's nice to get that taken care of. And then to hook into that next fish, that next lake trout, that was, what, maybe 8 pounds or something? Yeah, I would say between 8 and 9 pounds. And I brought my fancy bump board, so we got a measurement. It was just shy of 28 inches, 27 and 3 quarters. Yeah, and that was like... A pretty exciting time, I think. That's an epic fish. Just beautiful, dark boundary waters, lake trout. Dark fins, dark back, dark belly. Just those beautiful fish you only see coming out of the boundary waters in Quetico and nowhere else. Mm. And then it was really like, okay, this day is complete and whatever else goes down is just all, it's all good. And Matthew, you got busy getting firewood. Uh, built this incredible fire out on on the ice, like right out here in the middle of the lake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you put together this fire. You, you got it going with birch bark that Eric just somehow magically had with him. <laughs> yeah, you know you're you know you're with a guy who knows what he's doing. When he you say I'm gonna go get firewood, and he says I've got a bag full of birch bark and cedar sprigs. <laughs> yeah. You don't need those. Yeah. <laughs> Why do I sound like an 80 year old man? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, no, I think that was Ed talking <laughs> yeah, from the yeah, background. Yeah, that's this other guy. Forget about <laughs> him. Uh, but uh, then then to, uh, so then we're sitting here literally while we were eating the fish uh, that, you know, pull it off the flame. We all gather around and we're, we're eating this lake trout and just all just so, you know, blissed out and enjoying the moment. And I happen to look over and there's a tip up. There's a red flag standing, first tip up of the day. And it was too good to be true. It was like it had to have been a tripped flag the sucker minnow or the wind which there isn't any but maybe the minnow are just bumped or whatever mm-hmm. eric goes taking off matthew's running rafter with a camera I was, I was like at a slight jog until i heard eric say it's spinning yeah. <laughs> yeah i fully expect it to be an accidental trip it's happened so many times and you walk over and it's not spinning and there's no fish there and you have no idea why it tripped so we were tempering expectations, is what I should say. And then to see the the spin, the helicopter spin, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then set the hook, boom! You knew right away that it was a oh yeah a large fish. It felt like setting the hook into a giant log, like you do so many times trolling around in the boundary waters. It was just dead weight, and I don't think it was until I got the fish within 20 or 30 feet of the hole when it saw that something was pulling it towards the ice that it really realized it was hooked. And that's when it took the first of two or three runs. And I, you're doing with your gloves in hand because yeah. you're hand over handing with that tip-up line. Yep, which can always be dangerous. It can burn, but, you know, those scars are well-earned. If it does <laughs> cut into my fingers, I'm happy to have those. Um, yeah, it's there's nothing like hand-lining... A 10-plus pound fish. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. 10-plus pounds. Oh, yeah. And then to get it up to the ice, the first flash. 
Well, I thought first I thought it was a lake trout. We all did. Yeah, you know, I hoped it was a lake uh, trout. Hoped e- it was. Even that first flash, because the color pattern and it was just a flash, and it, I t- I said it's bigger than the last one, <laughs> and thinking you know still lake trout. And and just for a little context, like this wasn't even an eight inch auger hole. This was a hole that Eric had used his giant you know medieval saw uh, to cut. So it was quite large. And then all of a sudden, coming out of this already enormous hole is an enormous head. The head itself is this is bigger than one of the fish that we brought in today. And it came out very angry. Oh, yeah. s- furious! <laughs> we got that infamous alligator northern pike roll, and it was dangerous, wasn't it? <laughs> it Why don't you tell us about what happened, Joe? Yeah. <laughs> Well, it literally came out snarling mad, biting. I heard it snarl. It, yeah. said... <laughs> <laughs> it came out biting at air, biting at anything, and it landed a blow into my now severely severed thumb that bled <laughs> all over the lake, uh, you know, all over the ice, my pants. I thought that blood was from the northern. I didn't realize I did. it was from you. I know. It was such a clean bite. It just was just like, oh, slash. and um, Razor blade teeth. So it was a huge pike. Got some great photos. Put the pike back. Came back and relaxed. And that kind of brings us up to where how we are now. How big was that thing? Or how do you, what, what's we, the status so the for northern? pike are out of season right now. It's March and they close at least for non-border waters. Uh, they close at the end of February. So I wanted to avoid stressing the fish out more than we had to. So as you mentioned, we snapped a couple picks. I got it back in the water, pulled it back up for one quick picture, turned it around, and sent it down. Um, I've caught a lot of big pike. I think the whole lake rattled when it went through that hole. <laughs> that's Sorry. probably that's okay. That's probably the fattest pike, not the longest pike I've ever caught. Probably the fattest pike. If I had to guess, it was probably between 35 and 36 inches. Um, maybe a little bigger, maybe a little smaller, mm-hmm. and easily 13, 14 pounds. It was <laughs> the, girth. the girth. Yes, it's full of lake <laughs> trout. It, probably. I mean, if it was in season, I might have taken the time to get a measurement, but I was just happy to have landed that fish and to get it on camera so I wasn't too worried about the length and the weight but yeah those are pretty rough but I'm assuming accurate yeah guesstimates I would definitely second those it um, had the look of a dinosaur it did yeah. it did mm-hmm. uh, I am I'm happily wounded by the experience <laughs> yeah when we wrap you up with gauze I think the I I got the sutures out and I think the thumb is reattached at this point <laughs> enough to get home anyway yeah. mm-hmm. um thank you by the way joe like i said earlier your sacrifice was hey, well earned and much appreciated you helped out with that lake trout it's been a team effort all around i mean literally this is the quintessential you couldn't have drafted this day any better from from start to finish and we still got a three mile hike out and and then a, a journey across another lake so i want to be careful about what i'm saying the trip's not over Mm -hmm. but to this point it's been great i for one am definitely curious about this giant saw that you mentioned that it's more of a medieval (laughs) uh i mean it seems it you know when i see this when i first saw the saw on one of eric's videos i'm gonna gonna grab it yeah grab it um so it it stands what six feet uh, seven yeah, seven six feet tall. And a half, probably at least. <laughs> yeah. Folds in half, so you know, somewhat easy storage. <laughs> so the blade, it's it, the blade itself, <laughs> and and we will be posting video of this. Uh, oh man. Um, the blade itself is what was that? Four feet. Yep. It's a four, four foot four long feet. blade with a one. How many teeth? <laughs> Two, four, <laughs> at least ten to twelve. Jeez. Yeah, and, and this. It looks like something you'd see, uh, maybe a Marvel comic book uh, superhero would be wielding, or uh, maybe a futuristic, like sci-fi intergalactic warrior. It's um, intimidating, but it got through thirty inches of ice today. I won't say with ease, but it did its job well. Yeah, yeah. I should say, you know, we didn't cut any giant picture windows into this late season ice that is at its maximum capacity but eric did open the holes up real big with this thing and it is a 
I mean, it's like I'm staring at it right now, and there's fear in my heart. Welcome to our camp, everyone. What do you want? You know, if if the, if the Save the Boundary Waters campaign was just a lot of people wielding those things, <laughs> I think we'd probably make better progress. <laughs> I'd second that. Yes. <laughs> And and that's you know the the neat thing that's opening up in this world of ice fishing as an observer is that really there are so many cool tools to use to enhance the experience to enhance the success of the experience as Eric said is part of his intention with uh, far water uh, and to really uh, understand what's possible. And, and I think Joe raised a good point. Like, really, it's hard enough to get out here. Even just living up here, it was a lot of work to get out here. And so you might as well be prepared. Okay, well, now Joe has gone and picked up the remains of the already filleted lake trout. And Joe, just holding that filleted fish carcass... Is it still pretty heavy? It's still heavier than most lake trout I caught all season. <laughs> I'm serious. And all I have is a head and a spine and a tail, a couple fins. It's a beautiful fish. Thank you, fish. Mm-hmm. We look forward to a fine feast this week. And we're full of lake trout, just like that northern was, as we walk out of here today. And I, we've left some meals for that eagle we spotted this morning on the way and that sort of blessed our travels today. And a shooting star that I saw this morning picking up Matthew. That's right. Let us not forget. Really, the universe has aligned in our favor. We are quite fortunate and privileged individuals. Eric, last words for the day. I think this is, this is an interview that you should send us off with. I guess I'll just close by saying this, and this is a conversation we had earlier, but I think more people need to visit the Boundary Waters in March. So many people are thinking about spring break, flying to Cancun, traveling somewhere warm. March is just a phenomenon in the Boundary Waters. You got the melt and then the freeze, and the melt and the freeze. What we walked out on, I mean, that's the easiest three miles I've ever walked in the Boundary Waters in any context. I mean, it's just glass as far as the eye can see. It's perfect. Travel is easy right now. Uh, there's enough snow that you could do the up and over portages probably just fine at this point. The, I mean, we're sitting out here in the sun, like putting on sunscreen and worried about getting sunburn. It's just a phenomenal time to visit the Boundary Waters, and I don't think, I think most people overlook it. And I think, I won't use the word tragedy, but I think more people would appreciate the Boundary Waters even more if they visited in the, the shoulder season, the non-peak months. You don't have to compete with the crowds. I mean, we have this entire, whatever it is, 20, 15,000 acre lake, 10,000 acre lake. I have no idea. It's Massive a big, lake. Big lake. We have the entire thing to ourselves. Um, it's hard to say that about any other month of the year. Mm -mm. Anyway, March, it's my favorite time to be in the Boundary Waters and we need more people up here enjoying it. Indeed, and I think those are excellent last words, except I always seem to come up with something else to say. <laughs> so I just wanted to say I'm really grateful that you lost that fish last month. Yeah, we might not be here. We probably wouldn't be, you know. It's a mysterious uh, universe we all travel through, and it brought the three of us, basically, uh, maybe seven years ago, we were all complete strangers, and now here we are sharing stories around a fire on the lake in the Boundary Waters and couldn't be happier than this moment. Yeah, this magical place has a way of doing that, bringing people together, even though it's so remote and you spend most of your time solo. It brings us all together. This magic moment yeah! when your fish are close <laughs> to mine. <laughs> That was indeed an epic return to Pine. Redemption. Mm. That's the word for me. And you feel it. I do. I mean, it, the, so who cares if you don't catch fish? I mean, 
it's really something that we explored in episode 39 was the pressure and the whole idea of you're going to get what you put out there, the energy. It's mm-hmm. a whole concept we visited in episode 39. But it's nice to catch them. Make no mistake. Well, <laughs> I mean, that was a great day. Cooking a lake trout over a fire yeah. and seeing that tip-up go up and that huge northern mm. that Eric caught and the, the big lake or two. I mean, oh. that, that makes for a, a, a good day. But, you know, what? what is so interesting is that that whole day from start to finish, before fish were even caught, mm-hmm. felt pressure-free. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just, we're getting out, we're having fun, we got a new friend. Yeah. And it was just pretty joyful, the weather. Oh. I mean, again, I just can't help but wonder what the connection is. We were very stress-free. I mean, we... we... We hauled tail getting out there. Mm-hmm. We just sunrise. Yeah, <laughs> we made quick time. But getting out, I I didn't feel much different than going in necessarily. Mm-hmm. Where it was like on the winter camping trip, going in, feeling a little uptight. Got to get fish. Mm-hmm. Coming out, feeling kind of deflated about the whole mm-hmm. thing, you know. Um, that just keeping that level. Hey. We're just out here experiencing, mm-hmm. not not um, trying to conquer or something. No, being one with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's an interesting concept, Joe. You know that. You know, I you know I've been doing a lot of traveling. Yep. Uh, expanding to explore some other wild places. I'll be doing some more coming up here in May, going down San Juan River. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love wild places. I love the waters in wild places. Uh, but there is, there's something special about this wild place and the this the the amount of water, the abundance of it. Mm-hmm. That there's just as much water as land, if not more. And you know, the water connects connects us right here. At your, we're at your writer's cabin, and the waters that flow past us into Lake Superior can connect us back to that wild place. Yep. And as we were talking the other night, I mean, it really, they are. It is the the veins pumping the lifeblood around our earth, mm-hmm. and that is worth something. Worth caring about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, worth uh, you know directing energy and thought and attention to to keeping it that way indeed and the and that you know the fish and the you know the interconnectedness just with the fish and the mosquitoes i mean we have to have the mosquitoes if we want the fish (laughs) i mean what a willing to make a sacrifice for the greater good oh heck yeah here's an arm yes (laughs) suckle from my (laughs) From the flesh of my body for the fish and the wilderness. <laughs> we'll have plenty of that coming up. Mm, um, plenty. Yeah. I think it too, you know, we didn't really acknowledge this. I could tell by the emphasis in your voice at the top when you said that it was episode 40, that you were fully aware of the milestone. Proud. Within, yeah. Mm-hmm. That this is, a, you know, we hit those round numbers like 40. It's a... Uh, that's a lot of stories. We've met a lot of people mm-hmm. along the way. You know, just last week, I got to talk with multiple people, you know, some from other states that have reached out to us through this podcast. And, you know, I've, every time there's this immediate connection, we know that we share the love of place. Yeah. I mean, even just in this episode, we hear from somebody in Canada mm-hmm. who had picked up the podcast, you know, through the airwaves across the border and eat Eric over in Ely mm-hmm. um, through Paragus. And of course, we met people from all over the country, Germany, I mean, you name it. Uh, this podcast has been a platform for sharing stories from from all over the world from people, but all about one place. Mm-hmm. We want you to keep those stories coming. As you know, you can always find us at bwcapodcast at gmail.com. Uh, there will be a fine 
video experience of this Lake Trout Redemption. If you want to see the look on Joe's face as he pulls this Laker <laughs> and holds it in front of him with a dreamy look of pure wilderness intoxication. Yep. And uh, see this northern that Eric pulled out and just the beauty of this massive wilderness lake. Go ahead and head over to the WTIP.org website where you'll see it and mm -hmm. find us on our social media platforms on Instagram, WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. Uh, I think the audio is powerful, but it's kind of nice to see it sometime. It is. It was certainly nice to see it in real time and be there. And, uh, you know, as we start to gear up the canoes, I've got new tags for my solo to put on soon. Oh, you're on top of it. I'm ready to go. Oh, man, I mean, that that's... Just reminds me. I yeah. <laughs> <gotta do> that. <laughs> that's what April's for. Yeah, okay. Get yeah, that yeah. stuff lined up. And uh, so the, the season is nearing. We have so many things on the horizon for the podcast uh, lined up for the rest of 2021, starting to take shape. God, as, almost more than we can keep up with, it seems like. That's what you're saying. You know, but that's the idea. Is like when we hear from people like Mark, who writes into the podcast email and says, I, I enjoy listening. It gives us time to get in contact with you. We can plan a conversation or, or meet up as the pandemic, you know, mm. starts to slowly make some progress there that we can talk about meeting people again and, mm -hmm. and doing that kind of stuff. So uh, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Speaking of, I just got to give a massive shout out to everybody doing the vaccine efforts around the country. Uh, there are a lot of people working tirelessly to make sure that uh, that all of us are covered and those people are making major sacrifices and I'm grateful for it. Yeah, and it's, it helps the canoe outfitters for this summer with their protocols, uh, you know, everybody working together. We know last summer was oh. just, it was busy and there were a lot of different things that had to go in to make the, the outfitters able to function in, in the wilderness, you know, mm -hmm. and that connection. So... Yeah, we're, we're making some progress. I'm, I'm getting excited for the paddling season. I know a lot of people are too. And also along with that goes taking care of the place when you come to visit, respecting the, the woods and waters and treating it with, you know, leave no trace and just, just really taking care of the place. Mm -hmm. Be an important part of a trip. And the reality is a lot of people who are coming for the first time are, are learning that in real time. And unfortunately learning by making mistakes. But I think it bodes well for our paddling community to be patient. If we can be patient and encourage these new users to keep coming back and taking care of things uh, responsibly, they we got a lot of new lifelong users of the wilderness because of this crazy year. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll, we all got to be patient with each other. I can't wait to hear that first canoe, first paddle in the water. A little tink tink on the gunnels. <sighs> It's coming. It's coming, man. <laughs> In fact, I'm out of here right oh now. God. I don't care about ice. Here we go again. It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> I don't even have new tags. <laughs> Where are you going, buddy? <laughs> I just sing when I paddle canoe. Feeling not thinking if the strokes are true. We're going to get through to the other side. Out in the night, the waves beat the shore. You can hear them pounding, you can hear them roar. Oh, roll me, rock me in my dreams. You can roll me, rock me in my dreams. So I like to sing, I love to dance. I play the fool if I got the chance. All around the campfire light. All around. Campfire light all round, all round, all round the campfire light.